Warning, on this week's podcast, we will blow up your understanding of sacramental prep. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 17 years and have seen just about everything. And as messed up as we are, and as messed up as that intro was, we are here to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. That was a little cheesy, Chris. Like It was it, intense. It... it was meant to be like really, <laughs> like I want us to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it, the majority of the parishes in the United States, there yeah. is a academic approach to sacramental formation that lacks formation formation. Yes. And so I did confirmation prep in my earlier years in a way where so long as the teens could show up and spit back the exact same answers that we just told them, yep, that they could go ahead and they made sure that they checked all the boxes on paperwork and, and, and whatnot, they could go ahead and receive a sacrament that they don't understand from a God that they don't know in a church they rarely attend, and we would call that successful ministry. Yep, absolutely. And And that happens with... First communion classes, it happens with confirmation, it happens with marriage preparation. Yeah. You jump through all the hoops while you're cohabitating with your spouse, and you go ahead and you lie your way into, that was a, a double meaning, yeah. you lie your way into <laughs> the sacrament. Yep. And then all of a sudden the tribunal gets to deal with it seven to ten years later. Well, and before we started the show, you said that RCIA is the one place that doesn't happen. Do you actually believe that? RCIA is set up to be the one place where that doesn't happen. Oh, and yes, it's to set that up degree. To succeed more. Okay. Well, because keep, there's keep phases. There's the, the phase of inquiry, yep. right? Yeah. That's evangelization, followed by uh, the catechumenate, which is the phase of really uh, doctrinal formation. So this, this looks very similar to uh, Sherry Waddell's different thresholds of trust thresholds, you know, in, in the book Forming Intentional Disciples. And then you look at uh, the stage of purity and enlightenment. Yep. And in RCA, that's actually a conversion. Like, I am turning away from my old self, away from things of this world. And finally, after they receive the sacraments, there's a phase of mystagogia where we journey with them. Like this new period yep. following Easter, where we're supposed to journey with them. And a lot of times, once they get the sacraments, whether it be confirmation or First Holy Communion, they ghost until the next sacrament, whether it be confirmation or marriage. Yeah, and you're, so you're saying that RCIA is the one place where it's set up to have those different periods of you know, progress, if you will, um, with discernment between moving from this period to the next period. Correct. And not just discernment, but some of the phases are actually, like there's exorcisms that take place, you know, like there's words and rites that go deeper than just <laughs> parent meetings and paperwork. Yeah. And RCAA is a great example of that. There's the right of acceptance. You yeah. know, there's the, uh, the right of election, the right of sending, all these different pieces that indicate what's supposed to be taking place in the soul on a spiritual level, not just in the head yeah. and not just in the heart. And that's the challenge is sometimes we fall into one category or the other. You know, a lot of the 1970s catechesis was not very catechetical. Mm -hmm. It was very feelings-based. And I'm not saying that feelings and, and education are at odds with each other. But a lot of times they find themselves independent of each other. Yeah. And I don't think that's the true aim of catechesis. Yeah. And I, see, I would say that even with RCIA, though it's set up for that not to happen, it still happens in most cases, probably because of the culture that we have in the church 
around sacramental preparation and the sacraments, which is, I guess, seen in its fullness in all the other sacraments. Does that, does that make sense in, in, in confirmation prep and, and all that? Like we get to actually see how off we are in the culture of the sacraments in the church. Is that, does that make sense, Chris? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Okay. And it, it models a scholastic model, which seeks to measure things that are measurable. Yeah. Did you show up? You can measure that. Either yeah. you were there or you weren't. Mm-hmm. Do you know the answers to these questions? And yeah. that's measurable. Can you recite this? Is your heart in the right place? Whoa, time out. That requires a journey, a co-journeyments, you know, and that is a lot less measurable. Yep. And so the rites that are set up in RCIA and the, the different phases of RCIA, I believe are meant to kind of create a pathway. And I think that someone could land in the uh, catechumen stage for two or three years. Absolutely. In an, ideal, in an ideal situation to where they're like, I'm still learning. I am not ready to go ahead and change yet, enter into that stage of purity and enlightenment. But we don't have that in other sacramental prep. And to your point, most RCA programs don't have that. Thank you. I was about to to jump on that because most RCA preparation is a year. And you start in August or whatever, and you end with Easter, and you are expected to move along the path. And if you hold yourself back, then you're looked at a weirdo. Or if someone suggests that you wait a year, then you feel offended. I mean, or at least there's that. Maybe there's just the tension of that, but it's probably not a reality. Well, and there's the flip tension that if some of your students going through sacramental prep or wait a year, they don't call it, we call it delaying the sacrament a year. That's what we say. We're going to delay it a year. And then who's the failure? Well, maybe, maybe the student or maybe it's the ministry leader. Maybe it's you that's the failure. Like you fail to get them ready in time. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) What if there's no failure at all? What if this is actually good stewardship of the student where they're at in their faith journey? And they need that extra year to fully embrace it. Yeah. The other thing that haunts me is how many shotgun weddings do we have in other sacraments? I, I, I tell teens at the parent meeting and the team meeting, the first meeting of the year, I'm like, if you're just here because grandma's going to give you $100 if you get confirmed, which happens, mm-hmm. I let them know that you're doing it wrong. Yeah. It, it should be $500. This is a sacrament. This is a big deal. <laughs> This is more important than an Xbox One. You have to make it five hundred dollars. You know. I thought and you were going to say you were going to give them a hundred bucks and say go home. No, I'm just trying to es- elevate the sacrament through the manipulation. Like make it five hundred, make it a grand. Like this is a sacrament. Oh, this is a big deal. But it's it's problematic. And the t- some of the teens in in my own program are going because they're going to lose their cell phones if they don't continue with their uh, faith formation. Yeah. yeah. But they show up physically but they leave their hearts and their minds somewhere else. And they wear hoodies and headphones and they stare at their lap, texting their friends. You know, it's just, it's a mess. If you guys uh, that are listening haven't done much study on the process of RCIA and actually understand kind of how the church lays it out and has designed it, it's freaking beautiful. And it provides for these moments of discernment, you know, before you proceed to the next step. That's that's the way that they've written it to be done. And very rarely do you find people actually doing it that way. What you find is Protestant churches seeing our RCA model and saying, that's a great way to bring Christians into the church. We're going to use that. And they use it. They kick butt at it, right? Because they're doing it the way that the church says to do it. And it's the right way to do it. Right. But, but they do it on a smaller scale. Yeah. Which is amazing because I do not believe RCA was meant to be a team of three people 
in a classroom full of 30, 40 people mm-hmm. or some, some relationship like that. Whereas other, other churches can do it with one or two or three people. There's this journeyman. Yep. And that's what RCA is meant to be. We yeah. have the whole sponsor or God, Godparent type of thing that's meant to connect the journey together, closely together. And in a lot of places, confirmation, obviously, there's a confirmation sponsor. It's like an honorary title. Yeah. They're not discerning or looking at who is going to hold me accountable. When I come home from college on a break and they ask me, when was the last time you went to mass? Yeah. Why are you struggling? What are you struggling with? You know what I mean? Why do you smell like marijuana? These important <laughs> questions. So, Chris, we have gotten almost halfway into this show talking about this. Lamenting. What, what, I what know. The world, Thank you, why, How did this come up? Why are we talking about this? Great. So, obviously, uh, for listeners, last week's episode with Bart touched on this. It, it was meant to be a conversation about confirmation and the role of the Holy Spirit in confirmation. But for those of you who listened to it, and I recommend it, especially the end, the prayer at the end was absolutely beautiful. Bring your heart to, to last week's podcast. But it ended up being a conversation about the Holy Spirit yep. and inviting the Holy Spirit in. And I think that sometimes the logistics of sacramental prep are at the expense of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I think we need to rethink sacramental prep in a large way. And so some of the things that were mentioned is in the sacrament, you were actually transformed. You've checked all the boxes. (laughs) Now you've earned the right to receive this sacrament. See you later. You know, but you're actually transformed. There is a change. And that change is like a, uh, this is a horrible example, but like a cancer that grows. Like it, it can take over over time. My confirmation, me, who was confirmed remember a number of years ago. It was a long, it was a long time. Everybody listener, knows your so. old Chris. Go okay, on. Over, over 20 years ago, I received the sacrament of confirmation. I am still unpacking the grace that came from that sacrament. The Holy Spirit is still welling up in me, and I'm still finding new avenues of my life and my heart to open further to the sacramental grace of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you're not just transformed, but they're also transforming. And they're not just transforming for the individual. They need to be transforming for the family, the community, everyone within your parish boundaries, everyone within your circle of influence, to the ends of the earth. That is what sacraments are meant for. Sacraments are not just for you. Sacraments are for the good of the church and good of uh, humanity. Absolutely. And that type of thing sounds like a good bumper sticker or a (laughs) t-shirt. But in reality, do we actually form people in that way to be like, you are being raised as a soldier for Christ. And guess what? Yay, gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit. Also, suffering and longevity, like it's going to hurt. Yep. And you need to figure out what it means to endure because you're going to be clinging to the comforter, that Holy Spirit. Yeah. Because you're going to need to. Yep. Because you're going to need to. And if you're not, you look at the um, the Pentecost, you know, one of the big moments where they're like, confirmation equals Pentecost, right? Your own personal Pentecost. What happened immediately after Pentecost? The, uh, they, they were accused of drinking new wine or too yep. much wine. You know, and so there was immediately persecution. Persecution is the litmus test of if you're living out your confirmation in a way that's truly transformed you because you're going to be pushing the edges of your comfort zone and finding pushback as well. And there the Holy Spirit is as well. Yeah. And the big challenge that, you know, Bart, you know, gave us was, are you seeing this? You know, that transformation that you were talking about, both within ourselves and in the communities that we like in the church as a whole, because of me, the church is being transformed. Do we see that? You know, we don't see it near enough. Right. Another piece is, this was a quote from the show, confirmation is magical. Or he said, you attribute the sacrament's effectiveness to its signs. Mm. And this really kind of leads to a superstition. Yep. 
right? To where the Holy Spirit is kind of a, a genie or a wish maker or something along those lines. It also creates a, um, a giver receiver instead of a coworker. Mm. And that's the crazy part. The giver receiver thing of God, I'm going to ask you for this or Holy Spirit, I'm going to make this demand or ask you for this so you can help me down on this level actually diminishes you. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't just diminish the Holy Spirit because when, when we're coworkers, the Holy Spirit doesn't come down to our level. When we're coworkers, we elevate to the Holy Spirit's level. Mm. And what I mean by that is he's not here helping us do better on earth. He's here allowing us to help him build the kingdom of God on earth. And I feel like that sacredness is, uh, is sometimes lost because we are just begging the teens or those in sacramental prep not to become a statistic of X percent of people leave the church by the time they're 22. Mm-hmm. So please just continue. These, this sacrament should help you continue in your faith. No, it shouldn't help you continue in your faith. It should help you transform the faith life of others, of those around you, build the kingdom. It's a sense of mission instead of just a sense of membership. Mm. And I think that gets lost. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we start talking about this stuff. For me, I start to wrestle with the practical implications. Yes, I believe in all this. I believe in everything that we shared. I believe in everything that we've been talking about. But what do we do about it? And you may not want to go there yet um, on this podcast. But that's what I always struggle with is like, okay, okay, you don't have to tell me anymore. You don't have to convince me anymore that, that something's broken in the way that we form people for the sacraments. But what do we do? Well, I think one thing we do is we prepare ourselves to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I think in my own journey with confirmation prep, which I've been leading off and on for, you know, 18 years, is I was very uncomfortable when, the, when a teen initially wouldn't go through with a sacrament of confirmation. Mm. Now, if a teen approaches me and says, I'm not, I don't want to get confirmed. Why? Well, I don't believe in God. You know what? That's a great reason not to get confirmed. Yep. Let's continue through the process. You know, because when a teen comes to me at the beginning of the confirmation process, I don't want to, I don't want to get confirmed. Like, which gift of the Holy Spirit do you not want to receive? What effect of confirmation? I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you learn about what you're rejecting before you reject it? And this is where catechesis comes into play so they can make an informed decision. Absolutely. An informed decision is important. And so I encourage the parents, like, you cannot force your teen into the sacrament, mm-hmm. right? They, they are the ones that have to be disposed or open to it. You can absolutely force them to be informed about the sacrament. Yes. And so yeah. they should complete the process. And I tell the team, complete the process. That way, a year from now or two years from now, if you change or your heart changes and you want to receive the sacrament, you've gone through all the steps. And then it's just a matter of us sitting down and having a meeting and then figuring out when, when the bishop's going to be in the area. Mm-hmm. I've I like seen that. that happen. I've seen that happen. I can name those teens' names. I've cried when those teens have left my office their senior year saying, I'm ready. It's a beautiful thing. But there's some that haven't come back. I mean, it's not just a real talk. Like there are some that haven't come back, but they're like, this sacrament thing seems really important to you. I had a teen say this to me. It seems really important to you. I want to receive it just to tell my parents I got it out of the way. But I feel like I'd be disrespecting something that you hold as very sacred because you talk about it in a way that I don't believe. Mm. So I'm going to take a step back. And then I advocate to the parents like this is this is how we're going to move forward. And that's okay. So we need to be okay with smaller numbers that are stronger Yep. Instead of diluting the whole thing just to say that we've completed X amount of confirmations or X amount of sacramental prep. What you've said about being uncomfortable, it's not just being uncomfortable with the teen. It's being uncomfortable with their parents, you know, potentially their grandparents, who are now $100 richers, thanks to you. 
Um, yeah. And you're going to be uncomfortable with the the pastor or your boss, you know, mm-hmm. because who knows what's going to happen. Let's say if you tell the class, you guys don't know, like, let's just say you don't, ha- you don't have to get confirmed. Now you'll say it in a different way. Those kids then go to their parents. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I'm, I don't have to get confirmed. Now, that may be, not be the way they say it, but <laughs> no matter how eloquently you say it, the way they translate it to their parents is going to be a lot more close to that. And then the parents will say it to their pastor. If their pastor isn't on board with what you're doing and, and understand it and all of that, you're, you're going to be uncomfortable with more than just the teen, right? Oh, without a doubt. And you're going to wrestle with yourself as yeah. well. Did I make the right decision? Because guess what? The sacraments are efficacious. Yeah. Even on a soul that's struggling, that doesn't fully embrace Jesus, they are efficacious because grace is real. Mm-hmm. You know, sacramental grace is powerful. Which may be why so many people just default to confirm them anyway. Right. And so there, there is a tension. I, and I think, you know, the, the, the cases against arguing for the restored order, and the restored order listener would be that, uh, that you go back to how the sacraments are delivered in the Easter Vigil. Again, you go back to the model of RCIA. Baptism, confirmation, then Holy Communion. And there's a number of dioceses, Archdiocese of Denver, Fargo, um, even here in Texas, Taylor or Tyler. Is it Tyler or Taylor? Tyler, I think. Mm -hmm. Tyler, yeah, uh, are all doing restored order to where in second grade they receive confirmation, third grade they receive Holy Communion, Mm -hmm. or in second grade they receive confirmation and Holy Communion. And a lot of people are like, well, then they only have a second grade understanding. But they also have sacramental graces of mm. confirmation, which is huge, yeah. even with like a second grade understanding of the faith. So yes, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. But the reality is, is when it gets uncomfortable, we need to be reminded or remind others of the fact that we are supplementary to the primary faith sharer. The parent. In other words, in other words, the parents already know. The parents are already aware of the fact that their child is not formed or ready for the sacrament of confirmation. But I think they're just trying to push the ball to the finish line to get it done with so that they don't have to wrestle with the teen week after week after week to get them to some sort of formation class. Yeah. Mm. And so then we have a bunch of parent meetings that we require to go ahead and beg the parents to take the teens to Sunday mass so that they can practice their faith. And then we know that a lot of them will cease to do so once the sacrament has been conferred. I feel like we've had a conversation like this on this podcast, but I've had multiple conversations about confirmation with a lot of different people at a lot of different levels of the church. And I feel like something universal needs to change about the way we do it. Or maybe just enough enough parishes need to have the guts to do what needs to be done in the formation of their kids to where that will become the norm. And then everything in the church will change, you know. But I, I just, I can't stand how slow that's going to take. Yeah, there's, there's a systemic issue with confirmation, uh, specifically, but other issues as well. Here's the deal. You were on with Bart. I wasn't there last week. I actually got to see the video recording of you and him. Everyone else got to hear the audio. I got to see the video recording of you and him talking back and forth. And then all of a sudden, you put him on the spot to lead in prayer. And I'm sitting here in front of my little screen almost in tears, inviting the Holy Spirit into my life in a renewing and transforming way. Amen. The movement that is happening of the Holy Spirit at healing the whole person is tangible, is efficacious, is transforming, and is attractive. Yep. The challenge in the church today is the difference between a non-confirmed Catholic 
and a confirmed Catholic is not that dramatic. Mm. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our programs, into our leaders, and into those newly confirmed or oldly confirmed like you and I and most of the ministry leaders listening. And we need to be spirit-led, spirit-driven, spirit-bold, just like Bart is with uh, the whole healing the whole person movement. Yep. When people see that, they hunger for what that is. And that's where, so the fruits taste delicious. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are so delicious, and they're so amazing in the church today. Are they present in your parish? Are they present in your formation programs? And if not, that's your first step. You can find a better way to go ahead and have a funner icebreaker. Funner, I don't know if that's a word. A more <laughs> it's fun not, but it, icebreaker. It's a fun word. We can, we can edutain the heck out of these youth. But unless we actually lead with that thing where you are actually transformed and show them this is what the Holy Spirit looks like fully alive, then we're just putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah. So let's say someone says, what does a parish that has the Holy Spirit active in their preparation, active in their confirmation, what does it look like? What's that? What, like, what's our response? Like, oh, go check this place out. Oh, go check that place out. Because I haven't seen one. Well, obviously, it's that teens are crying on Saturday night of the confirmation. That's, <laughs> that's a litmus test for, for the, the movement of the Holy Spirit. Guys, just so you know, he's, he's being facetious. It's totally, totally tongue-in-cheek. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, th- that, that's a great question. Because you want to say, okay, RCA programs are increasing, right? There's more people wanting to come into the church. The thing is, is everyone could increase the number of teens they have in their youth program. Mm-hmm. If they just put made a couple of t-shirts that said, free iPad, come to our church on Sunday night. And for two months in a row, you give away an iPad every Sunday night. That's very expensive, but I guarantee that you could double your numbers in ministry wherever your numbers are at in a yeah. heartbeat. I mean, yeah. and that's, that's a $2,000 commitment to double your numbers. Everyone would be like, yeah, I'd be down with that. But it actually doesn't increase anything for the kingdom. Yeah. Aside from uh, maybe a few benefactors that are willing to throw a couple thousand dollars at you, so I so I don't know I don't know exactly what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be fully alive in the entirety of a community, other than looking at the Acts of the Apostles. Yeah, well, and and what I liked, and that's one of the things we love about, and why we connect so much with the Healing the Whole Person retreat, is it's alive there. Like there's there's a, a different vibrance, there's evidence there, you know, like what Bart was talking about. And in a certain way, that's the kind of evidence that we should see at our confirmation, in our confirmation programs. And there may be ministry leaders that listen to this that say, hey, that's what mine was like. That's exactly what my confirmation was like. Matt, you need to know about this place. You need to go visit this place. Please yeah. tell me this place because I yes. want to go visit. I want to see it. Yes. To be clear, because I know some of my uh, volunteers listen, like I am very proud of our confirmation prep program. Yeah. And I think we've come a long way. I don't think we're all the way there yet. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I wrestle with it and I toil with it. And that is why I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in me because I'm uncomfortable in certain areas because I believe that the Holy Spirit could be more uh, yeah. more present. And and that and that's a good thing. So be not discouraged if you're listening and you're like, okay, this was a discouraging episode. I <laughs> everything is garbage. No, 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 no. Like take that step forward. Take that step forward and then make space for the Holy Spirit in your own personal life but also in, in your program. What does it look like when you're leading prayer with your team before yeah. you go ahead and dive into the to the youth night or to the sacramental preparation? And what does it look like when you are talking and engaging the parents? Are yeah. we talking more about paperwork? Or are we talking about more transforming other child's heart? 
Are we talking more about the transforming of their own heart? Because they get to be the primary models and witnesses of what it means to be confirmed, assuming that they're confirmed themselves. Yeah. So there's a book that um, I've read multiple times. Actually, I think I read it three times in a row when I first got it. And uh, if we haven't already talked about it, I'm going to recommend it again. It's called Forgotten God. Um, and it's by Francis Chan. It's obviously, it's not a, maybe not obviously, but it's not a Catholic author. Um, but I love the book. Have you read it, Chris? Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Last summer when I was um, in kind of a really difficult time, and I shared a little bit about it on the podcast if you want to go back to episode like 17 or 18 or whatever. Um, but the chapter on the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Mm. And then he said something so simple, and I'm doing a run. I'm listening to it on tape, and uh, I'm doing a run, and I'm like in tears at this point. And he's like, you have to be uncomfortable in order to be comforted. Oh, wow. The Holy Spirit is most present there. And I was just like in tears, like, I am so uncomfortable right now. Like, come Holy Spirit. Like, it was just this beautiful thing. You know, I really do believe, like, we talk about Jesus as our brother and our friend, and yet he left us. Mm. And he said, I leave you because something better is coming. It's good that I'm leaving you because something better is to come. And I don't know the exact, but that was kind of the premise of the book. It's like there is yeah. a good, th- it's good that Christ left us so that we could encounter something better. And that something is a someone, and that someone is the Holy Spirit. And, and then he just, he goes into the rest of the book. It's a fantastic book um, that will uh, transform or at least remind you of the beautiful, basic, and transforming truths of the Holy Spirit and his desire to be in your life. Amen. I hope that this spurs conversation. It may spur some anger and, you know, disappointment in, in things. And, and actually, in a way, I invite that because I want us to have like lively debates on this in, in our in our Facebook group. And, and I, I just want us to be uncomfortable as we wrestle with this stuff. Yeah. And to be fair, I feel like we pulled a pin through a grenade and then we, we don't have all the answers. But Ministry Leaders Anonymous is meant to be a roundtable. We do not have all the answers. And we should be uncomfortable. Not dissatisfied. I guarantee every listener out there is moving the ball forward, is shifting the culture at their communities, at their parish. And it does take time, and that patience is very difficult. It's also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Um, But but, um, I think it's important that we at least name the issues to start the dialogue. Let's turn the lights on and and see what we can see together. Amen. All right, guys, you can find us on Facebook. We've mentioned that a couple times through this podcast. You can find us on Twitter, MLA Podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, MLAPodcast.com, and you can email us at MLA at ablazeyouth.org. Please write us a review and share this with another ministry leader. Share this with, if you're just a listener, the confirmation coordinator. Pass it around. Make some people uncomfortable for the sake of the kingdom. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe if you want to go quickly, you go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders to reconnect with the Holy Spirit and find a way to invite him into your programs. And we will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless. God bless you.